Good morning again. It's a pleasure for me to be here and have the opportunity to share with you this morning. We continue with our uh, um, study this summer through the book of James. So if you turn with me to James 5, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6 this morning. James 5, 1 through 6. All right, if you'd follow along with me. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the, day, in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposed to you. Join me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we've had the opportunity to get into James we're so thankful that uh, um, the words that he wrote in this letter for the, the believers in the first century are relevant for us today. That we can hear these words, and for many of us, we may need to be cut to the heart by some of these words. And for some of us, we can be encouraged that we are living our lives for you. Father, we ask that you be with us during this, uh, this message this morning. We ask that um, you would meet us where we are at and that you would be glorified in this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'd uh, turn to the screens to the side here, um, I did some research this week on this idea of money. Of course, Jason took a vacation this week so that I would have the opportunity to talk about money with you. Um, came across these two articles. Thanks, Bev Phillips, for the first one here. Um, both these are from Time Magazine, so you can go home and do some research. I've cut them down and just taken portions uh, from them to look at so I don't bore you completely to death with them today. Um, if you'd follow along with me, it says, money really can buy happiness as it turns out, but you ne might not need as much as you think. A survey of more than 1.7 million people from 164 countries to put a price on optimal emotional well-being would be between 60,000 and 75,000 a year. But while that may be the sweet spot for feeling positive emotions on a day-to-day -day basis, the researchers found that a higher figure, about 95,000, is ideal for life evaluation. Let's go to the next one here. And then it closes up with this statement, which I really like. All said, if your income is below or above the researcher's ideal threshold, don't despair. Research suggests that while money can buy happiness, that quality of your spending is just as important as the quantity. All right, let's go to our next article here. All right, article number two. Uh, money isn't everything, but status is. The Beatles sang that money can't buy you love, but what about happiness? Research consistently shows that the more money people have, the more likely they are to report being satisfied with their lives. Money buys you things that make life easier and more satisfying. The easier the life, the happier you tend to be. It goes on to say, people tend to value their own wealth more and are happier 
when it compares favorably to everyone else's. The so-called reference income hypothesis holds that it's not simply how much money you make that contributes to satisfaction, but how much more money you make than, say, the national average. The higher your salary uh, than the norm, the happier you tend to be. And then it closes with this statement, in terms of life satisfaction, rank is a better predictor than absolute wealth. Money may not buy you love, but it may buy you enough, it may buy enough to purchase status and a little bit of happiness. All right. In our world, the emphasis is on me. The emphasis is, is on what I want, and it's on my happiness. I love that in, the, in that one first article, it gave happiness a number, and then it ended with that statement, all said, if your income is below or above the researcher's ideal threshold, don't despair. Research suggests that while money can buy happiness, the quality of your spending is just as important as the quantity, which basically means they have to write another article now telling us exactly what those quality items we need to buy for that happiness. I love that. And in the article on status, it basically says there's no such thing as happiness unless I have what others around me have or more. I chuckle to myself as I read these articles and I continue to chuckle as I, as I read it because isn't that my life? Isn't that many of our lives um, researching for that uh, financial, we're reaching for that financial goal basically of beating everybody else. Uh, wanting to fit in with the elite and comparing our wealth with others, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, our, uh, this weekend I had the opportunity um, Crystal's parents are here this weekend, and one of her, a friend of hers said, hey, why don't you come use our pontoon boat on the lake? You can come hang out. It'll be a great time. And as we did that, I went through this cycle mentally of, um, okay, that, this boating thing's pretty nice. I could get used to sitting on this boat, letting the waves hit me, sitting around doing nothing. My kids are jumping off and having just a great old time. And this, man, maybe this is something I should consider getting. And then, you know, after the boat ride, you know, we pull in, and it's obviously they got this beautiful lakeside house. And then you go inside, and you're like, oh, man, this, man, man, I got to get a nicer house. I got to get a bigger yard. I got to get a boat. This life, I am missing out. I am not, I do not have enough. So I'm comparing myself with everybody else and saying, hey, God, it's not good enough that you've given me my home. I want this. And we go through that. And when we get into James today, um, we are getting some thoughts on what God thinks about this lifestyle, our lives, our money, um, and more importantly, our misplaced faith in it. When we think about our money, a lot of times we think about more, 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 and we think about what I need, and we trust in that money rather than in God. And the more money we have, that battle is, is even greater. So, Lakes Free, today we have a problem. As we dig into this letter that James has been writing to believers, since, they, since the first message, wealth and riches have been mixed in. This is a hot topic on James, um, on James' heart and on God's heart. God has inspired this message, not only for those uh, readers of that letter, but also for us today. His words are challenging us, as we dig in this summer. And as we dig into this passage, it's, it's no wonder that every time I get to preach, 
Um, it's a passage that goes right to my heart, and God is challenging me. And I hope it's a challenge for you today as well. Um, today's passage um, is no different than the past um, chunks we've gone through, but what is different today is that James is cutting right to the heart. In today's passage, he's taking the gloves officially off, and he's going after us. He's not messing around anymore. The rich, are he's going right after them. Um, in the past verses, um, he discussed concerns and consequences, but today he's skipping all of that, and his words are harsh, and he is proclaiming judgment prior to stating what the offense is. Commentators compare his words to those of Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Ezekiel, prophets that foretold of disasters that would come upon the people. James wants his readers to understand his seriousness, and he calls the rich to weep and wail. Wail meaning to howl in response to unexpected regret and misery. These guys have been going along, just walking around, doing their thing. It may be something that they think they're getting away with in their, in their um, hearts, maybe a choice they've made. They're just, oh, whatever, I get to do whatever I want. And today, they've hit the wall, and they're called to, um, to a place of judgment. All of a sudden, the rubber has met the road, and all those things that they've been just kind of ignoring and just kind of enjoying in life have come to a head. And now it is saying, there is great regret and misery, and James is calling them to that. We've been moving along, thinking we're okay, and then we get hit. The wage, he says, the wages you failed to pay are crying out against you. The cries have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, which means the judgment has already begun, whether they are aware of it or not. His harshness cause, has caused division among Bible scholars to whom he is referring in this letter. We know that the letter was written to believers, but there's still this debate of whether he's talking about the unbelieving rich outside the church or the rich within the church. James is so sharp in his words that he doesn't even call these people brothers as he has done in previous passages or urges them, he's not urging them to repent but rather only casting judgment on them. Today, I'm concluding both that this uh, is for both the believing and non-believing rich that he is speaking to. I'm convinced that this message is for both, but it is also for the poor. I think this, this statement from Sam Alberry in his James For You book um, states, states it well. He says, James' purpose here is not primarily to teach the ungodly rich about the error of their ways, but to show Christian readers on the receiving end of the ungodliness what God thinks of it. He wants them to overhear what God would and will say to the rich who are giving them such a hard time. He goes on to say that hearing these oracles would show them why they are neither to fear or copy those around them. In the first century, things were much different when it came to economic wealth than it is today. There were two classes of people. There were the very rich and the very poor. Not like today where we fit in the middle, high, low class and they kind of bleed together a little bit. The divide between the wealth was very great. 
And most Christians fit into that very poor class and were dependent upon the rich for their survival. And in this case, the wealthy are the landowners. And that's why James is going very hard after them because all the people are relying upon them for their wages, their food, everything depends on how they handle uh, their wealth. The poor would be the ones working that land for them. So it would be very easy for the poor to want to be like the rich. It'd be very easy for them to envy the rich, but it would also be uh, very easy for them to get bitter toward them. James is making it clear to, to them, the poor, that there is no need for them to do this. The rich have misplaced their faith in possessions that are temporary, and on top of that, judgment is on its way, and God's judgment is already coming. You, on the other hand, have placed your faith in what is eternal and will last forever, Jesus Christ. This message in this passage today is for us. We live in a different time, but although the wealth may seem more spread out from, uh, from our perspective, riches are a bigger issue today, outside and inside the church. And the problems haven't changed, they've just gotten bigger. As we saw in those articles at the start, our happiness is now directly linked to our wallets and the envy of what others have. To better understand our situation, I did some research this, uh, this week uh, when it comes to riches. Um, I did some homework on some different values of money that we are dealing with in our world. Um, I'm going to put them up on the screen for you to follow along with. Um, the average U.S. income uh, is 58,270. Uh, or 270. That is ranked out of the 78 countries that they put on this. Um, it is reported that we are the eighth wealthiest. Now, for some of you, you see the eighth wealthiest, and you say, who are the other seven so I can move there and be wealthier? We do that. Um, the Minnesota median household income is 63,488, which ranks 12th out of the 50 states. In Chisago County, we're actually higher than the Minnesota average at 64. 726, ranked 16 out of 87 counties. All right, let's continue here. Uh, I did some homework on a couple towns in our area. You can put them all up. Um, the per capita, which means basically individuals in the home that make uh, money. Uh, Forest Lake, we're sitting at about 35,000, ranked um, 32 out of 868 cities or towns in Minnesota. Chisago's at 22 plus at 144th. And Lynchham's at 21 plus with a rank of 171. All three of the towns listed there are in the top 25% of our state in regards to wealth. Um, and we obviously, if you look at all these charts, our country is doing very well, our state is doing very well, and our county is doing well, and now the towns we live in are doing pretty well. Um, in the past few years, there's been much debate about the wealth and the 1% in our country. Who, who needs to pay more? each of us pointing blame and looking down on different people. I came across an article titled, America is the 1% by Hugh Guy. It states that you need to earn $34,000 annual income to be in the global elite. And half of the world's richest people live in the US. It goes on to say that the global medium or yearly salary 
is $1,225, according to top economists. Do we fit into the rich category? We do. We do. And this message in these verses are a warning to many of us. Not because we have money, but because of our misplaced faith in money. We put our trust in money, finding our security and our significance in it, and we lose sight of God. Dr. David Nystrom, professor of biblical literature at North Park Theological Seminary, stated in his commentary, Christians in the United States live in the richest society in the history of the world, surrounded by a billion hungry neighbors, yet we insist on more and more. It really resonates with me as I think about my attitudes at times. James outlines uh, the injustices done and the lifestyle of those with misplaced faith, the reason for God's coming judgment. As I read these verses that will come up on the uh, board here shortly, I want you to um, allow God to work on your heart. Are there areas that God is convicting, uh, convicting you of within these verses, in these passages that I'm reading here uh, this morning? Starting with verse 2, it, st- it states, Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. All right, we've got this list up here, and I just kind of brought it to our terms a little bit. When we look at our lives, when we look at what we're putting our faith in, our significance, our security, how others treat us, accept us, clothing and our appearance, are we looking for our security in that, our significance in how we look, how people uh, approve of us? Our financial resources, our paycheck, our retirement, are we trusting in these things for our security and our significance? Are we hoarding wealth, our savings, possessions? Are you trusting in your possessions as something that will give you security and significance? Luxury, high-class living, got to have the nicest home, got to have the nicest car. We get caught up in this. We, we live in a culture where this is all around us. Are we looking for what we have as our significance and our security? Go to the next slide. Self-indulgence. You want it, you get it. Latest, greatest. Food, technology, phones. I got to have the latest phone. It just came out yesterday. I'm going to get that phone. That's just how it works. All right? Are you in that place where you're getting your value from these things? And then are you condemning and murdering innocent men? taking the poor to court or manipulating them for gain, not paying deserved wages, and knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it. We talked about that briefly last week. Um, I get caught up in, this, in the bottom one where, I taught, where it looks at knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it. I've been to many different conferences, concerts, these kind of things where they, they promote some people in need, and I feel God tug at my heart, but yet I don't do anything about it. I know that in the world there's things going on where there are poor people and things going on where they don't have good drinking water, those types of things, but am I doing anything about it? Last week, uh, Rebecca Phillips shared in the youth center about refugees. 
How can we get involved in those things? We have to ask ourselves, all right? And, uh, and along with that, not paying deserved wages. If you're a business owner, if you have that type of situation, are you being fair? Are you giving them what they deserve? I have and do struggle in many of these areas as a rich man, misplacing my, misplacing my faith and money and the possessions rather than trusting God. Self-indulgence, assuming my home, my retirement, and possessions equals security. How about you? What is God convicting you of this morning? In Hebrews 4.13, he declares, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One day we will stand before God and he will ask us, what did you do with the resources I gave you? The lake's free. Besides having a, uh, having a problem and misplacing our faith, we also have a solution. We have a solution. So how do we redirect our faith to God rather than money? We place our trust in God and allow him to be in control of our lives. We turn our lives and our possessions over to him. We have this passage from Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, and then verse 24. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Campus Crusade for Christ, or CREW, has a pretty cool resource that I've used over, um, over time for myself to self-evaluate kind of where I'm at in my relationship with God. It's called The Spirit-Filled Life. You can also go online at the CREW website and see this as well. Um, when you pick it up, inside it's going to give an illustration of three different individuals. And I wanted to go through that with you guys this morning um, as a reminder for all of us. There's three different individuals. Number one, and they have these cool little images that make it kind of easy, but you're probably like, what does that mean? Um, they have the guy on the, on the seat there, the little circle figure, Fisher Price guy, uh, sitting on the throne there. Um, that is a representative of us or myself. All right, and then it's got the circle and all those little dots are things that we're dealing with, our family, our wealth, everything in our lives. And then there's the throne and then on the outside is the cross. This is an illustration of what they call the natural person. In this scene, the person is sitting on the throne and while they sit on the throne, they make all the decisions. They juggle the different areas of their lives. They are in charge and as you can see, Jesus is on the outside of their lives kind of looking in why they uh, move forward. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Living as a natural man, as we try to juggle everything, it tends to lead to frustration. Um, you're not meeting the goals that you want to meet on your own. Then there's the number two person, the second person, and in this, uh, in this illustration, they tend to put this guy third, but I thought he could fit better here today. Um, the worldly carnal person. All right, as you um, can see, now the cross is inside the circle, but it, you can also see that nothing else has changed. 
It's like um, Jesus is there, they've accepted him into their life, but now he is just one another of the pieces of the puzzle of their life. Probably another thing that they're juggling to um, keep under control, which is leading to frustration. In 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 1 through 3, it says, Brothers, I could not speak to you as a spiritual man, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly since there's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not acting like mere men? So for many of us, there's some people in this room we've chosen, we've said, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe salvation comes through you. But then we've said, I still want control. I still want the power. I still want to do things my way. If you would just be another piece in my life, that would be great. And if every once in a while I can pray to you and get what I want, that'll be great too. Um, we kind of look at it that way, okay? So now there's the third person, the spiritual person. All right, as you can see in this case, there seems to be order. The chaos is kind of gone. Um, although as believers, if you're walking with Christ in a, in a uh, spirit-filled life, um, it may seem like it's not as orderly all the time, but you know who's on the throne, and every decision you make for your family, your finances, your work, all those types of things are filtered through Christ who's on the throne. So every decision you're making, you're saying, I'm going to do this through what Jesus would say, what the Word of God has to say about this. It says in, um, in Corinthians, uh, two, 1 Corinthians 2.15, he who is spirit, spiritual appraises all things. We have the mind of Christ. And because we're allowing Christ to work through our every decision, he's producing fruit in our lives that causes us to grow closer to him as well as lines up for us to help other people and allow the Spirit to live through us. All right? Riches and wealth, as you see in these illustrations, when it really comes down to it, the riches and the wealth are not the problem. It's a heart problem. Who is in control of your heart? If it's you, the focus will be on you. If it's Jesus, you're, you understand that your life and your money are his, and you are managing it for him. Um, I think of that uh, passage in uh, Matthew 25. Jesus shares a story about the, uh, the master and the three servants. He's going, he's going away, and he's going to um, take a little break, take a little vacation. And he says, hey, you three servants, I want you to manage my affairs while I'm gone. I'm going to entrust each one of you with um, a financial portion of my, of, um, of my wealth. I want you to um, take care of it. In that situation, if you remember from the story, he gives the first, he gives the first servant five talents, or the equivalent of about $5,000. He gives the second guy $2,000, or two talents. And then the third guy he gives the one talent, or roughly about $1,000. One day, he decides it's time, I'm going, I'm out of here, he takes off. And the guy with the five talents, or the 5,000, goes right to work. Gets, puts that money to work right away, and doubles it. The guy with the two talents goes away, and he immediately puts it to work, and he doubles it. The third guy doesn't like his master, and believes his master's a cheat, and he's hard, and all these things, so instead he goes and buries his 1,000, or one talent, in the ground, all right? So over the, after the vacation, it's been a while, he's been gone for a while, he comes back, and the, uh, he wants to um, settle accounts with these guys. The first guy with the 5,000 is like, hey, you gave me five, I made 10. And the owner is like, 
this is awesome. I'm thrilled. Come and enjoy life here. What you have, I will entrust you to more because you've been faithful with what I gave you. The second guy comes in, does the same thing. Hey, I doubled your money. And he's like, dude, thank you for being wise with the resources I've given you. Um, come and share your, my happiness. Come and hang out. I'm going to give you more to be entrusted with because you were faithful. And then the third guy comes in with his dirty bag that he dug out of the ground with his $1,000 or one talent in it. And he says, here's your money. I knew you were hard. I didn't, you know, I'm afraid of you and I feared what you would do. So I just hit it in the ground. Well, the master obviously is not happy about this and he is furious and he's like, why would you do that? At least take it to the bank and get me some interest. Do something. Don't just sit on the money. And so he takes the thousand and he gives it to the guy with the most money or the $10,000 now. So now he has 11,000 and this guy has nothing and he sends him out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is the point of that? Like I said, I was reminded of that as I thought of the heart problem and the fact that it's not about the money, but it's about how we use the money. Who are you trusting? Are you trusting the money or are you trusting in God? It wasn't the amount of money that mattered, but the heart attitude. First two servants were faithful with what they were given while the third servant just sat on his. A few moments ago, I briefly described the three. You saw the images up here and we still see the third one. For the natural person in this room, trusting yourself and your riches, you have to ask yourself, what happens when it's gone? This passage sounded uh, like the judgment was already set. But if you are sitting here today and you are breathing, you have a chance to place your trust and your faith in Jesus today. He promises to never leave you, to never forsake you, to give you abundant life today and into eternity. Stop investing in treasure that won't last and start investing in treasures that will last forever. Receive his acceptance, his significance, and his security. For that worldly person, for those who have put their trust in Jesus but, not have, but have not given their, given their trust to Jesus, give it up. Let him be your Lord. You've prayed for salvation, but now let Jesus transform your life. Let go of the control and live the abundant life that you've already been given because of what Jesus has done for you. You've already accepted it. It's already there. You just now have to say yes to it. Repent and quit sitting on the fence. You can't have it both ways. Fully place your faith in Jesus. And for the spiritual person in this room, um, you probably don't even know who you are because um, you're humble, you're living it, you're just, you're in love with Jesus and you're doing it. For those of you, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Don't get to a place where you get bored with following Christ. Keep going after it. Allow his fruit to continue to transform you. And the rest of us, we thank you because we need you. We need your example. We need you. And we need your prayers. We need you to be that example that follows Christ and we can follow you as you follow him. As we, uh, as we place our trust in Jesus, as we place him on the throne of our hearts, just like that, we need to start getting in his word and understanding what it means to be someone who allows him control of our riches. We need to get in the word and we need to start living as rich people who know Jesus lives. I wanted to list some advice, but I would actually should have called it wisdom from Jesus and one of his followers, Paul, when it comes to our money. And just kind of look at some of these things and just think, you know, this is what Jesus said about handling our wealth. 
We need to sell some stuff and give it to the poor. And not just our junky stuff. We need to, we get, need to say, I, need to, I can downgrade some things. I can make a difference. Yeah, you could do a garage sale. I know people doing garage sales and they give all the proceeds to an organization that's, that's helping the poor, or helping somebody in need, or doing ministry. Sell, some, st- sell your possessions. Get to work with that. Um, Jesus said, be trustworthy with little and you'll be entrusted with more. Just like our example earlier. Be trustworthy. The little things matter. Be generous. Be generous. Don't give because you have to. Give because you want to. And give from your heart. I always like this one from that Luke 21 passage when you think of the, the um, old widow at the temple. And Jesus is like talking to his buddies. He's like, you know, at this time, all the normal church-going people are coming through and putting in their wealth in the, in the um, offering box. And everybody sees them and it's great. And they've given out, they've given out of convenience. They've got the money, they just give it out. But Jesus is like, hey, look at, that, look at that person over there. Nobody's even noticing. Nobody even cares about that lady over there, but look at her. She just put two coins in, two little copper coins that are worth nothing. But she gave all that she had and she gave from her heart. And Jesus noticed that. Everybody else walked by, Jesus saw them, but he noticed the person who gave their all. All right? Um, give in secret. Give in secret. We don't want, you get your reward in full when you do it in front of every. you know what I mean? When we do it in front of people. Look for opportunities to give in secret. If you know somebody who has a need, just send them a, a check in the mail, or not check, because that would be uh, not giving in secret. <laughs> Put some cash in there. Find an opportunity to serve um, by giving in secret. We don't, they don't need to know, you don't need to know. But the fun thing is when you do that, you, you will be blessed. God will bless you by doing that. Um, deny yourself and follow me. Um, basically, Jesus gave up everything. He said, don't, it, it's not about you. Look at everybody else. Follow my example. As I deny myself, you should deny yourself. And then this passage from Matthew 25, it says, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, give clothes to those in need, care for the sick, and visit the prisoner. If we open our eyes, if we can get off this self-focused thing, um, we'll start seeing all those things. And for some of us in here, that's not even a problem today. But for some of us, we need to get the blinders off and get to work. From Paul, quickly here, be a cheerful giver. Once again, give you know, what God has placed on your heart. Give it. If it hurts a little, be cheerful. Be thankful that you can give out of thankfulness. Uh, provide for your family. Take care of your family's needs. Don't neglect your family. And give regularly. Put together a plan where you can give on a regular basis to make a difference. And be content in all circumstances. Stop comparing yourself with your neighbor and what they have and these types of things. Let's be content with with what we have and give out of that thankful heart. Now I focused heavily on, and I gotta wrap this up, um, I focused heavily on our wealth as a people blessed to live in the US, but I haven't focused as much on the needs of the poor that are among us. James in verse four exclaims, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Just like in the passage where the, poor's, the poor people's prayers have reached the ears of God, there are people in this church right now, and there are people in this community whose prayers have also reached his ears. We, if you are struggling today, there is hope. God hears your prayers and knows your needs. He has also placed his followers around you 
from your neighborhood, this community, and from within this church to help you. He is, he is faithful and he, will, he is at work right now to help you in your need. For us within the church, God is, is calling us to respond to that. He has entrusted many of us with much so that we can invest in the lives of those in need. Let's get engaged in people's lives. On a further note, God has blessed us as a church and many have given generously to the ministry here at Lakes. And we praise God for that. This is, we are a blessed church. It is important that we as a church and as a staff not get distracted by the riches we possess and lose sight of God's mission and vision for his global church. We need to not fail or let's not fall into a category that lets self um, that gets self-focused, it gets into bigger and better uh, mentality, which can easily happen as we compare ourselves to other thriving ministries. We can look around and see this church is doing this, this church is doing that, but we need to keep our focus on what does God have for this, for this church. We are called to remember our brothers and sisters globally that are in great need for our resources and our daily prayers. We need to continue to pray for and provide for our missionaries. And we need to be informed. We need to get engaged in the global church. We are not, if you turn on the news today, you are not going to get the perspective you need on what's really happening in the world. You need to go to websites. You need to do the research. You know, uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a great place to get an idea of what's going on in the world where Christians are being persecuted daily. Okay, and finally... A few items to remember. I'm stealing this, uh, this information from an article by Ron Blue uh, from Focus on the Family. We're going to close with these, uh, these, these uh, tips uh, to keep in our minds as we put Jesus on the throne of our lives. Number one, God owns it all. God owns it all. God has all the rights, and you have no rights. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. The way I spend reflects my spiritual health. God owns it all. We are in a growth process. Just like those servants, God's entrusting us to, to things, and he will reward us, our, eter our eternal position, and rewards are closely connected with how I handle God's property. Number three, the amount is not important. God owns it all, so hold it with an open hand. Okay? This can be hard for many of us. Hold it with an open hand. And finally, faith requires action. God's resources should be used with an open eye to God's goals and objectives. So start listening and let's get moving. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, this book of James. And we do thank you for the harsh words that were spoken uh, through, the, through uh, the Apostle James today. Father, for some of us, we do need to make a heart check, and we need to make a decision whether we're going to follow you or follow ourselves. God, help us to get the blinders off and get to work. Thank you for those who are already faithful, and they're daily faithful, living for you. Thank you so much for that, Father. Thank you for their example as they follow you. Help the rest of us step up, place you on the throne, and let you take control of our lives. God, we give you the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, uh, this morning as we um, close, I just want to remind you that uh, there's elders and Stephen's minister, ministers that will be up here um, to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. But as I close, I want to take this verse from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.